Hey folks, how the hell are ya? My name's Kaylin. And I'm a man of constant sorrow. And you're listening to Crime or Reason. Y'all, how we doing? It's been a hot minute since you've talked to me. What is up, guys? Uh, oh my god, we're recording again? I've missed you. I've missed you. <laughs> we haven't seen each other in weeks. We've missed you all. Yeah, we have missed you guys so much. We're so excited to be back behind this mic. It has definitely been a minute, and we just kind of wanted to touch base and let you guys know as to why it's been so long since you've seen us. This is the first time Kaylin and I have even gotten to see each other in, what, three weeks? It's been three weeks? Yeah, it's been a minute. Essentially, what ended up happening when we were supposed to record the last time to keep us on track... I ended up hurting my back again. I suffered from two back injuries in the past couple years, and so my back just isn't what it used to be. So I was in bed for a week. And we were actually laying on the floor recording the last episode. (laughs) We really were, because I couldn't sit in the chair. But I've been pain-free in my back for two weeks now. So We love to see it. And I don't know if you all noticed, but I was a little nasally, a little sick in the last episode. So, uh, why was, were you sick, Caitlin? Well, it was, I was getting over cold right before COVID hit my household. On the plus side, though, like, I'm mobile again. Caitlin's got her, her taste great. back again. She's coming back. She's, yeah. we're, we're still working on the peanut butter, but she's coming oh. back. So, and then immediately following the third week, Caitlin's in the process of moving and, like, into their new place and I just started a new job a week and a half ago so it has been we've got the busy toms yes so it just took a bit for us to really get everything kind of worked out but we're back we're here we're ready and we are going to take off we are all aware about the tragic events that happened at Rob Elementary School in Texas I think I speak for Dalen and I both when we say that we're absolutely devastated and heartbroken and it's something that has very much set on my mind since it's happened it's made my heart feel really heavy yeah it's been really awful and we're so very sad to hear all the the tragic deaths that has happened and so young too yeah all the young lives that were taken and the two teachers it, it it's really hard i you know i mean it's hard for anybody And living in the world that we do and how often stuff like this occurs, Caitlin and I both spent years working for schools and and this definitely weighs a lot on us because we we just, we worked with students and it's a scary thing to have to think about. All of our good vibes, thoughts, and prayers all go out to the families of the victims who... Send their hearts out, for sure. Yeah, I mean... It's, there's no real easy way to talk about this or to address it. We can all agree that we don't want anything like this to happen. So us as a country, we just need to make sure that we are doing everything that we can to keep anyone and everyone who is a part of our country safe, especially the children of our country, because they're who's going to, yeah, they're the future. They're who's taking over this country next. So I think that it's very, very important that we don't let this just sit back and go into the books we really need to stand up and make sure that we are doing our part to make sure that we are getting this taken care of 
whether we are adding protection to schools or we are calling our legislators, whatever we need to do to make sure that we get this taken care of and get it under control. We do want to send all the love in our hearts to everyone who was affected by this. All the families in Texas and... All around. We've had too many mass shootings this year. We've had too many mass shootings really forever. Forever. So we love all of you guys. We want to spread that love around and just really just make sure that everyone is happy and safe. And yeah, Kaylin and I both decided that we were not going to record another episode without making sure that it was addressed Mm -hmm. and making sure that we shine as much light on it as possible. I guess that we can maybe make this a little bit lighter now. Move on into what we are talking about today. So y'all better sit back, y'all better relax, because it is my episode. And do you know what we're doing today, Kaylin? What are we doing today? We are doing a true crime case. Wow. I was looking and I realized... I haven't done a true crime case since episode four, the Alyssa Bustamante case. <laughs> We've been throwing a lot of episodes out at you all, but not, not a lot of cr- true crime. A crew true crime. crime. <laughs> not tons of the crew crime, but specifically me. I, I've done two, and they were episode one and episode four. Mm-hmm. Any of the true crime that has come afterwards came from Kaylin. So I was like, I have to get on that. I think it goes without saying that if I'm doing a case, there's definitely going to be a list of trigger warnings because I do tend to cover the intense ones. Yeah. So there are some trigger warnings. There is mention of rape. While it doesn't actually occur in the story, it is brought up. There is also some very intense physical and violent abuse. If any of that is not for you, we totally understand. We'll see you on the next episode or in a previous episode. But I just wanted to let you guys know. So today's case is about the tragic murder of Rachel Berkheimer. Let me preface this by saying that I tried to get as much information about the case as I could, but some of it was kind of hard to find. Anytime that you researched, a lot of the articles were very short and just had like a generalized idea of what happened. I even had to find her obituary Mm -hmm. just so that I could get like when she was born and where she was born. Wow. Yeah, like it was intense. Rachel Berkheimer was born January 16th, 1984, in Everett, Washington. Her parents are Bill Berkheimer and Denise Weber. She also has a sister named Megan, who's an older sister. Rachel was described as bright and high-spirited. Anybody in the community that she came into contact with was touched by her in some sort of way. How precious. She is literally the cutest human being. Mm. She's only 4'11", too. Like, she's itty-bitty. Yeah, she's so pretty. So pretty. I'll show you a photo. Oh, she's gorgeous. She Look at that smile. Yeah, and that was one of the things, too. She Radiant. was always smiling. She was always super happy. She was described as incredibly athletic. They actually said that when she was six years old, she could beat any guy, like any of the boys in basketball. Like, she was out shooting all of them. She had an amazing sense of humor. She loved animals. She actually wanted to become a veterinarian. She was incredibly social, hung out with many different friend groups and social groups. <laughs> what the actual fuck was that? Windows fucking down, bad bitch. What the fuck? <laughs> was that a cannon? I don't know. That's, that sounded like old cannonball. <laughs> Lithofuse. I can't. 
after your chimney sweeping it in. I don't oh, know if this is what's happening. We haven't even gotten past the basic information. Okay, here we go. Let's go. Read. Her father, Bill. Explosion! <laughs> Police sirens! <laughs> Nuclear bomb! Gas station explosion! <laughs> her father, Bill, actually referred to himself as her personal answering machine because he said he was all... I'm done. I'm quitting. The podcast is over. I'm just uploading this. This is it. 30 minutes in, and we've got three minutes of usable stuff. And it's the minute and a half intro. Her father, Bill, actually referred to himself as her personal answering machine because he was constantly taking calls at their house for her. There were always people calling to chat and talk Want with to her. Hang out. Went to hang out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was incredibly social. She was also incredibly motivated. They said at the beginning of every week, she would actually make goals for herself for that week, and she'd write them on notes and post them to her mirror so she saw them every day. So she was really motivated, really Mm -hmm. had her stuff together. But then there was a point where things kind of got really rough for Rachel. While she was in high school, she lost six of her close friends. She lost them in car accidents, suicide, drowning, accidental shootings. Like, they were all, like, in horrific ways. That's so unfortunate. Her closest friend, Corey Haynes, passed in a terrible car accident. And they were super, super close. Like, people described Rachel and Corey as, like, brother and sister and even called them soulmates because they were so close. This took a toll on Rachel. It caused her to shut down. She pulled away from her family. And her sister even said that as she was shifting into this new depressive state, like... Megan felt really hopeless because she just couldn't Couldn't do do anything. anything. Yeah, This sent her on a darker path. She started to skip school. She was hanging out with a really rough crowd and even began experimenting and dabbling in drugs. Oh, no. Yeah. Rachel's dad actually received a $640 phone bill. I'm sure he was in utter disarray about. Full shock. Yes, I would have vomited. It contained charges to a correctional facility where we learn that Rachel was talking to John Anderson. John Anderson was being housed at this correctional facility, and that's where all these charges came from. So a little bit about John Anderson, because he is a big part of the story. John was a local criminal and part of a street gang called the Northwest Mafia. So their business was stealing drugs for their own use or to make for profit. They said that they did sell some for profit, but they kept most of it themselves and was just doing a ridiculous amount of drugs. They were doing meth, cocaine, they were drinking a lot of alcohol, a lot of partying. It was just really, really intense. Sounds like the wrong crowd to be hanging out with. Let's talk about Rachel and John's relationship because I think we can understand that it probably wasn't the best. So while he was in the correctional facility, he was actually sending her letters and some of these letters read, and I quote, I don't know any other way to show you that you were so special to me. I would murder a million people to be with you if I had to. So right away you can see that he's obviously very passionate. And whether it's good passion or bad passion, I think we can decide that it's probably bad passion. Yeah. So he's just a very emotionally intense person, and you'll learn that. Mm -hmm. Rachel, Rachel was convinced, though, that he wasn't what people thought he was. She said that she could see the good in him, Mm -hmm. where other people didn't. However, 
John was incredibly jealous over Rachel. When they were together, he would go as far as to sniff and smell her when she would come around to see if he could smell the scent of other men on her. That's pretty weird. That's pretty intense. Intense. Her friends and family thought John was abusing Rachel at one point because they started seeing bruises all over her body. And this led to her even confessing to her sister Megan that she was absolutely terrified of John. He would make very terrifying threats to her to make her stay. But with a bit of support and a bit of help from her family, she was able to finally break up with John Anderson. After they broke up, she actually began to rekindle her relationships with her family and her friends. She started spending more time with her family. She was visiting more and calling more frequently. She even started going back to church with her mom. Getting back to her regular self. Yeah, getting back to this happy, cheerful, big ball of joy. And then she ended up becoming really, really close with a guy named Maurice Rivas. And they had a very good, solid friendship. Mm -hmm. It was helping her stay really, really positive. Her father even said at one point, I don't know who this guy is, but I'm very thankful that he is bringing this good side out of her. Well, we learned that Maurice was 18 and also part of the Northwest Mafia, but he was trying to stay out of trouble and better himself. Because of that, him and Rachel were able to bond over their desire to no longer be involved with that gang. They were both planning on going back to school and graduating and walking with their class and just really make everything better for themselves. That's great. So he seems to have a really, really good impact on her, vice versa. They're keeping each other very motivated and things are really starting to look up for her. At some point, she started to play with fire again and ended back up with John in an off-again, on-again relationship. Oh no. So we can imagine how this turns out. Not so great. Not so great. During one of the times that she was not with him, she actually started dating one of John's friends. So we can imagine how this made John feel. Rachel didn't really think much about it. Her relationship with John didn't feel so serious when they were on and off. She was just trying to have like a good time. But John was absolutely infuriated. Like jealous? Yes. Jealous. Now, because of this, John and other members of the gang in a drug-induced paranoia convinced themselves that Rachel was actually leaking gang secrets to some of her friends and even some rivals to the members that were in the gang. And this was when, at some point, Rachel was informed that there was a hit on her. Now, obviously, she was terrified because of this, and so she went to her older sister, Megan, again, whom seems to be the one to pull her out of her dark places a lot. So Megan's doing her best to comfort Rachel and make her feel better, but she's also advising her, like, but you still need to stay cautious and stay way the hell away from John, which is probably a smart idea. And Megan even said, he's just some, you know, small town thug. Like, he's not dangerous. He's not this big bad criminal. There's nothing to worry about. And then she said that the night that she talked to Rachel about all this, as Rachel went to leave, for a split moment, it popped in her head, what if? And she said, nah. And then just didn't think about it anymore. She had just that small second of doubt and was just like, no, there's no way. So in September 27, 2002, Rachel actually was at a party at a duplex in Everett. There, there were seven members of the gang, but she felt really, really safe while she was there because Maurice was there too. And both of them were trying to distance themselves the best that they can. Yeah, they were trying to stay out of trouble. They Mm -hmm. were trying to distance themselves. But obviously, with that kind of situation, you can't just completely pull yourself away from that. Right. They were having fun, laughing, 
playing games, chit-chatting, talking, you know, just a fun party. She actually went to this party because she was using it as a way to gain the trust back of all of these people because she wanted to make sure that they trusted her, that she wasn't what they thought about her. This is when John comes in. He arrives to the party and he is absolutely pissed off that everybody's having such a good time. And so he goes around and he starts like smacking some of the other members and just being really aggressive. At some point, it really escalates and guns start getting drawn. Rachel is like, I'm out of here. As she's going to the door, John grabs her by her hair, yanks her, pulls her onto the floor, starts hitting her in the face, starts kicking her in the face, and then gets some of the other members to join in. At this point, they even turn up the radio volume so that nobody outside of there can hear. There is such a sensory overload for that, like, I couldn't imagine. They ended up taking her to the garage. There they tied her up, they gagged her, made sure that she couldn't scream, and they just left her there while they all went back inside the house to figure out what they were going to do. And so the party was, like, all the, the gang members? Yes. And Maurice? Yes. And her? Yes. They are in there trying to figure out what's going to happen. They're playing video games. They're getting high. They're eating pizza while talking about gang raping her. Oh, while she's sitting out there in the garage. Yes. They're talking about potentially holding her for ransom to get her father to pay the money for her safe release. And then at one point, they have this weird like change of heart and even thought about getting her a hotel And nursing her back to health and then letting her go. But they quickly decided against that. Because that could definitely not be the best idea. Right. They were were probably thinking like, oh, we're going to get caught if we do that. She'll ride on us. But like, what's the other option? To kill her and then get caught for that? Right. Either way, you're... Neither one of them are are great, but assault and battery is a lot less substantial than murder. Right. At some point, Trissa Connor who's actually the person whose duplex they're in, comes home, she goes to the garage, finds Rachel tied up and bound in there, and she's like, fuck no. So she goes to the kitchen to get a knife so that she can cut her free, and then she's stopped by John. But Tris ends up flipping out, and she's like, this is not happening. I'm not going to have my home where you have this girl... I'm not going to have this girl bound in my home. Take care of this. Get it out of my, get her out of my house or I'm calling the police. And they ended up going to one of their vehicles. They put Rachel in a duffel bag. Remember, she's only 4'11". Yeah. And they take off with her. And Trista never called the police. Wait, so you're telling me that this woman found a girl bound up in her... Mm Mm-hmm. Garage. Uh-huh. And didn't call the police? Right. She was just more concerned. Like, she was going to cut her cut her free and let her go. Mm-hmm. But it was less because she wanted to save the girl and more she just didn't want a girl bound in her house. Well, and I'm sure she didn't want to get into the gang. Correct. Line of sight. Correct. So, she... So, they end up taking off with her in a vehicle. She's literally in the back of a Jeep in a duffel bag, still bound... And they drive 30 miles away into the mountains outside Seattle. Oh, full panic. Yes. No. So once they get there, they decide that she's got to die. Like, there's no choice. She's going to have to die. 
all the gang members end up going to gather supplies so that they can take care of her. I'm and they stressed. leave and they leave her with Maurice. Looking at it, you you would think like this is ridiculous. Like this is stupid of them to do this because like I was wondering where Maurice right. was in this whole situation. Well, I mean, and, and you're kinda of sitting there thinking like what all can Maurice do because he's up against like seven or eight members at this point. Okay, like yeah. it was the seven members that were at the party plus John. But they end up leaving her there alone with Maurice while they all go and get the stuff. And during this time, Maurice doesn't actually set her free. Doesn't let her go. What he ends up doing, though, is just, like, talking to her. And she's, like, begging. She says, listen, I'm not going to beg you for me to live. I know I'm going to die. She was like, but I just don't want to drown. Please don't let them drown me. She must have been so scared. Right. I can't imagine. Now, let me clarify this up because it's going to sound weird. I remember when I was like listening and reading for the first time, I was a little confused and then I finally gathered. I'm going to be talking about how she's like having conversation and how she's doing stuff, but then talking about her being in the duffel bag. Mm -hmm. What I gathered was she's bound in this duffel bag, but like the duffel bag's unzipped, but she's still bound so she can't like pull herself out of it. So like, yeah, she's talking to him, but she's still in the duffel bag this during this time. The other gang members end up coming back and they have brought shovels and that's when she realized what's about to happen to her. So they end up taking the duffel bag out of the back of the Jeep with her in it. And as soon as they put it on the ground, she's making noises and stuff. Obviously she's bound in a duffel bag and John takes a shovel and as hard as he can, swings back and just, like, oh nails the hell out of the stuffle bag with Rachel inside of it. Yeah. And from there, they forced her. This part just gets me. This part was the part that made it so hard. I'm already got right yeah. now, so. They forced her while laying bound in that duffel bag. They forced her to watch as they dug her own grave. My jaw just hit the floor. I'm, I'm speechless. Like, went out of their way to make sure that she watched them dig that grave. She could specifically watch them. That's disgusting. Yeah. So, they dig the grave. It's a very shallow grave. It's not deep. I saw the photo of it. They start taking all of her jewelry. John's like, get all of her jewelry from her. Get all of her necklaces, all of her rings. And Rachel is, like, begging John, like, please let me keep this one ring. It belonged to my friend who died. And John was like, no. And still took it. It would be an identifier. But, well, I mean, even then, I I, I don't think that he was smart enough to think as it, uh, of it being, like, any sort mm-hmm. of, like, evidence. He was just being cool. He was just being an asshole to her, yeah. essentially. So, they take all of her jewelry. They stick her in the hole. They stick her in the grave. And as soon as she gets into that grave, she's, like, face down. She pulls her hands up and immediately starts praying. And John then says to her, no need to worry. You're going to be with God before too long. <sighs> he starts shooting her in the back and in the back of the head. And at one point, the gun jams up. And he, like, unjams it, reloads the clip, and then continues shooting. Are you saying he's shooting her in the back? The back and the back of the I head. I cannot stand whenever they will not look the person in the eyes. Right. They... And that's kind of my thing, too. Like... <sighs> If you're going to shoot me, like, look me in the face because look me in the face. I'm like, I want you to look me in the eyes as you're killing me. Yeah. Like, 
it's just it's disgusting it's literally foul Mm -hmm. so after that they put what it's cowardice is what it is that word comes up in a quote later Mm -hmm. they end up just putting a little bit of dirt that there is on there because like i said it's a very shallow shallow grave grave, so they cover up the shallow grave and then they go on and during this time all people think is rachel's missing they don't realize how bad it was like what happened to her what's crazy about it is there were so many people that she had come into contact with that she was so close to that just didn't help her and let it happen. Right. Like, it went through so many people who could have been, like, a proxy to it keep this from happening. Yeah. Avoided. So, after she went missing, obviously people were worried. Her family are putting up flyers everywhere. They're just begging for any sort of lead as to what happened. When a tip actually comes in from a mother of one of the gang members... And this led police to find the red Jeep who belonged to Matthew Durham. Police end up questioning Matthew, obviously. And at first he was very, like, cold-faced and wasn't trying to budge. But then he was kind of guilted. The police officer was like, I know you know what happened to Rachel. I know you know what happened to that girl. That girl is somewhere. Her family misses her and, like, really guilts him into it. Mm -hmm. And essentially what he did was look at that police officer and said, have you ever heard sing like a canary? Well, do re me, bitch. Do re me. And sung. Oh my gosh. So this allows police to go back to the house where she was abducted. They ended up looking in like a remote area that they were also tipped off by Matthew. So after he just started telling everything, they he ended up leading police to the remote area where she was taken and using cadaver dogs they started searching the area and they found the spot where she was and the police officer took one scoop with the shovel before hitting flesh that's how shallow her grave was from there they were obviously able to get warrants to search the duplex where everything started with rachel that night they found the gun that she was murdered with the jewelry that was taken from her, it was all duct taped together and thrown into a pond. And the bullet casings that were at the crime scene ended up matching that gun. So they knew that this was the murder weapon. They also found her clothes that they had attempted to burn and didn't succeed in. Which really just goes to prove that these masterminds who thought that it was a good idea for them to kill this innocent girl really just couldn't they even couldn't. remotely be successful at what they were right. attempting they to do. pull it off. There's no way. They really thought that they were these big-time criminals when they were low lives who couldn't even attempt to hide any of the evidence. Like, everything just started coming out so quickly. And they knew who she ran with, so, I mean... Right. Obviously, they're going to know who did it. They... It was very easy for them to realize that it was John. At this point, they're able to get all these members together. John, Matthew... Um, even Maurice, Maurice, all the other ones, they get them together. Yeah. And they too are like, do re me, bitch, and start fucking sinking. Just and talking and they talking. are throwing everyone under the bus to give them the lightest sentences that they can. And so they end up throwing three people under the bus. They really turned on John Anderson, who was the one that killed her. John Whitaker, who helped John Anderson dig the grave. And then Yosef. 
Yusuf Jihad. Yusuf Jihad. So eight people ended up getting convicted for the crimes of murdering or kidnapping Rachel. Two of which ended up receiving life in prison. Obviously Anderson being one. Right. And the other one being... Well deserved. It's really disgusting because Megan, her older sister, said that they were all really just like smug in court. Specifically John, who was even turning around winking and mocking the family during the trial. That's revolting. Yes. Now, I want to get into what Megan has to say about this. She talked in an interview and God, I love Megan. I love Rachel's whole family, but her sister Megan was, was just such a good positive person in her life and really helped pull her back and then what she says next like sister get it she ends up saying i went into court every single day hoping and praying that they would look at me knowing that i was the last closest physical resemblance to my sister and every time that they saw me they saw her and they were haunted by the memory of her and what they did to her I hope they're haunted every single day. And honestly, like, if I was Megan, same. Yeah, same. And they do. They do look a lot alike. And and I would wish the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. On May, on May 21st, 2004, Anderson was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And then everybody else was sentenced accordingly. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a situation... Where later, like a few years later, there was a situation where years later, John Whitaker, who was the one that helped dig the hole, mm-hmm. was granted a retrial. For what? And the family, I didn't get the details on that, <sighs> but the family had to go back through all those years later and sit back through that. How awful. Which I couldn't imagine. They're already going through so much. Right. Even years later, it doesn't get easier. But he ended up getting retried and was sentenced to life in prison. Good. So now we did get, I guess, legal justice However, for the, the crimes. did have to suffer twice. They had to go through so much. And it's just absolutely so heart-wrenching. Especially watching the videos that I watched and seeing her and how people described her. Like She really was just like this ball of... Positive energy and bright light. Radiant and glowing. So it's just, it's so hurtful and just so gut-wrenching to hear everything that happened because there's a lot of details about what happened to her through the process of the night. So having all that and just knowing what all she went through and how dark it was and how scared she must have felt and probably betrayed too. Right. And, And like... This murder was pointless. Mm-hmm. There was no reason behind Correct. it other than just jealousy and, and, you know, I guess a crime of passion. But not really, though. Like, I don't understand. There's no point. Right, yeah. like There was no reason. No, none of this had to happen. And at one point, they even considered letting her go. So, now... I don't understand. I do want to address two more things. One of which was... They actually got a recording of a phone interview from prison from Maurice Rivas, who was supposed to be 
Rachel's closest ally in this whole right. situation. And he said what he had to say about it. And you're going to kind of listen to it. He does like an apology, which sounded kind of like a copy and paste apology at the beginning. But then he talks about being scared, like it all being out of fear. And you could kind of start to hear like more emotion coming out of him. Right, which I can understand because he's dealing with gang members. Yeah, but... and he was dealing with like seven or eight other people. Like, right. like I get it. But in this scenario too, you still were involved. So it, it's just... You were still capable of preventing what happened. Right. In some aspects. Right. So I'm going to play the recording. I have the recording. We're actually going to be able to hear him, what he has to say. And here we go. It was really senseless, and it didn't need to happen, and it was just a horrible, horrible thing. A lot of it was fear. It just kept gripping me that I was like, man, I was just really scared in a lot of points. I know that's like, cowardice. I failed on an epic scale. So, I just want to read that. You guys heard him, but I'm sure that parts of that were hard to, to kind of comprehend what he was saying. So I do want to read to you what he said, just so that you can hear without any sort of like audio problems. He says, it was really senseless and it didn't need to happen. And it was just a horrible, horrible thing. A lot of it was fear that just kept gripping me that I was like, man, I just... I was just really scared and in a lot of points I know that this is I know that that's cowardice and I failed on an epic level and yes yes you did yes sir you did not just you failed like you felt her you felt Rachel Mm -hmm. your friend right so it's really really heartbreaking and you can hear like he obviously got more he sounded more real when he mm-hmm. was talking about like being scared. Like he was obviously afraid, and what he was saying was coming from a place there. Like you could tell it was very how he was feeling. But he sounded very like scripted, monotone, and scripted yeah. during the actual like first part. That was the apology. So I don't know if that was just him not really wanting to apologize mm-hmm. or if it was him just being like, I have to get the apology right and then it came off scripted. Regardless, that doesn't make him better either way. You still failed one of your closest friends. I'm sure he feels absolute remorse out of all those people there. I'm sure he feels remorse more than any of them. More than any of them. However, yes. that doesn't ignore the fact that, I mean, he... It could have been prevented. You could right. have stepped in. You could have called the police. You fucked over a girl who considered you her best friend. Mm-hmm. So, with that being said, I do want to say something about what the father had to say. So, at the end of it all, and this will be kind of the end, we'll end here. After it all happened, the father ended up saying in an interview that he actually saw a photo of the grave. And I saw that photo, and like I said, it was very shallow. Like, it was not a big grave at all. But he ended up seeing this photo of the grave. And he said, I could see the print where her hands were in a praying position. And that gives me some sort of hope that she's okay wherever she is now. Oh. Yeah. You're going to make me cry. And the family in this made me so emotional. The whole case, I was just like, I can't handle this. 
but... I don't know why I just got so emotional. I know. I know. I, oh, homie, I cried the first time I went through it. I was like, no, 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 no. No, my heart can't handle this. Yeah. Especially between, like, how hopeless the sister felt and how hopeless the whole family felt. And he just took that entire situation and put it into a spot where it was bringing it up. Right. Like, he said, I hope she's in she's in a better place. Right. Like, And it gives them some sort of hope and of or some sort of relief or closure i guess in a way so but you guys can go through all of their interviews were with crime watch daily and you can really just listen to the family and just you can tell how much the family cared how much they loved and loved rachel and and it's so heart-wrenching but it's so like amazing so astounding how much they truly just loved their daughter and cared for her. Right. So, but it's, it's, it's hard. And at the end of it, like I said, there was technically legal justice, but. For a pointless crime. Yeah. For something so meaningless, you took the life of somebody and it's just, it's heart wrenching. What a terrible, gruesome, yeah. awful case. And I'd like to say that there's more positivity in it, but it's not. There's just a lot of dark stuff in the story. Right. And and that's really the end of it. You know, we we know what happened to everybody. We know the outcomes. And it's just one of those things where it's really, really shitty. Something you don't feel family, good afterwards. Right. The family didn't, they didn't have to go through this. They right. didn't. None, and they shouldn't have had to go through it more than one single trial too. That's another thing, like right. in in itself. Is well, because they had to sit. The well, they had round. to sit through all those trials for eight people. Eight people. Then just to have it turned back around on them years later to have to go sit through it again. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I mean that's the the case of Rachel Burkheimer. I hmm. hope that they are haunted in jail for the rest of their for lives. For the rest of their lives. Every one of them. I am totally disgusted with every single one of them. Yeah. I did not feel great doing this case. Like there I mean I cried a couple times. Um and and my heart just felt so heavy by the time it was all over with. Right. How are you feeling? Sad. Me too. It's the I don't know, I don't really feel like I've cried like I actually cried on here before and like <laughs> That one brought me. Yeah, she was like, she was like legitimately tearing up. Like her eyes got red. Like I could see it like welling up, and that's how I felt. Like I said the first time that I went through it. It's awful. But and maybe this is why I don't do too many true crime cases because I always feel so bad about them after they're over. We get emotional. (laughs) Way emotional. I am a man of constant sorrows. As you said. As I said, it's my name now. But yeah, it was. It's a rough one, so maybe maybe that's why Caitlin's better at doing the true crime than I am. Oh. I get the real dark ones and then I feel awful about them. But, right. but they, just, they weigh heavy on yeah. your heart. It yeah. stays with you. But Well, you all, welcome back. We are so we're excited so, to be back. We're so happy to be back yeah. with you all and to be back to tell you all, all about these terrible horrible we really, crimes. We really suck at suglies. We do. So bad. It's so bad. We'll get it together. One of these days we'll have our shit together. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Probably but not. Probably never. But we are ready to get you 
all kinds of new episodes out to you guys. Our apologies for the uh, hiatus we've been on for a couple weeks, right. but we're going to get back into it. Yeah, you guys did get a fun, drunken episode. You got to meet a couple yeah, of my uh, other friends. So fun there. And we have some big stuff coming up. We do. We cannot tell you exactly what's going on, but you guys have already seen that there are... We've had some friends on here. Let's just say... You could expect more friends in future episodes. You're going to love it. Oh, we have so much coming at you. Big plans. Big. We are really planning some stuff right now. So yeah. we're excited. So, but. Y'all hit us up on our socials. Oh my gosh. Our social medias. I feel like it's been so long since we've plugged we've on. kind of so, booming a little yeah. bit. So. Oh yeah. So much. I'm, re- I'm really excited with Pumped. it. So, but yeah. Um, at Crime or Reason. On, on the Twitter. On the Facebook. YouTube. The Facebook. The Instagram, the TikTok, we're everywhere. Hit us up on all of them. So, and then you can also message us or email us. At crimoreason at gmail.com. With any suggestions, any thoughts, any compliments, any complaints. Let us know. We want to hear it all. Make sure you leave us a rating. Good, bad, or ugly. We don't care. Just make sure you let us know how we can improve and what you think about us so far. And we have missed you guys, and we're ready to go. We're wearing. We're ready. So make sure that you stay safe. Stay healthy. And stay criminal. Criminal. Bye, everybody.